Welcome to So Here's the Thing, where we share candid conversations that lift the veil on what it takes to find success, even if that means sharing a few unpopular opinions. I'm your host, Leili Amati. Grab some coffee or a cocktail, and let's get real. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. I am pumped because I have just hit it off like no other before I hit record with our next guest. The one and only amazing Erica Corday has dedicated her life to expanding how others interact with the world through powerful conversations. You guys know that's my jam. Um, She's an entrepreneur and a certified coach, and her work is focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, You may have seen the acronym DEI. That's what it stands for. She speaks on imperfect allyship and imposter syndrome. You guys know how important all three of these topics are to me, so I could not be more thrilled to have Erica on to talk with us today. Her work has taken her into communities, onto national stages. She's a speaker and educator. She's been at places like Alt Summit, which we just discovered. We were there at the exact same time speaking at the exact same event. It's crazy. And we didn't get a chance to meet. She has been um, at She Podcasts Live, at Being Boss, and she's also the host of her own podcast, Pause on the Play, a podcast that features open dialogue on topics like company culture, visibility, and mindset. Um, She lives in Maryland with her husband and two children, and she's phenomenal. Please go check her out. We will link everything in the show notes for you guys. But um, without further ado, I'm going to let Erica introduce herself. Tell us about your story, Erica, like why this is so important to you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Lately, I need you to know, like, I, I, I don't know where you've been all my life, but I'm so happy you are here. Like, <laughs> this is amazing. Um, yes, I am Erica Corday. To everyone listening, thank you so much for listening to my voice. I'm super excited to be here. I am a Black woman who has been passionate her entire life about things that I didn't even realize I was passionate about because it was just in my DNA. Being able to help people to realize how they can be a part of the change that they want to see, creating equity and just making things better in this world that I have had two beautiful children. I have gratefully been able to be the mother to in this world, like being able to leave it better than what I received it. My entire purpose is to remind people that change is possible. It is not about perfection, that doing this together is the only way that it can happen. And that being open to reconsidering your normal and learning the things that maybe you didn't know or didn't realize were valid can open you up to an entire different way of just living, thinking, and being. And that's the cornerstone of why doing something that people are like, oh, DEI, that's a big thing. That's hard. And I'm like, yeah, and I don't want to do the easy stuff. I'm not here for that. I'm here to make, like, make change. It has to happen. So, but I do it from a place that isn't about shame. It's not about blame. A lot of us have things that we didn't know, we weren't aware of, we weren't taught, we weren't given the opportunity to know things differently. And when you do, from there going forward is all that matters. So shame and blame, I don't invite them to the table. If you feel it, it's just reminding you that there's something to pay attention to and to keep being in action. It's not about being perfect. It's just about constantly moving forward. I love that. I completely agree. And it's it's so interesting. I, I heard Ty Wilson was a speaker on my virtual conference that I, I held a little bit ago here. And he said something in his talk about um, building inclusivity into your brand. And he said something about 
accepting growing pains for what they are. Like, it's okay if you're uncomfortable because it's just a growing pain. Well, just the fact that like people feel like the minute they start talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism, that shame and blame have to be a part of it, that they have to take them with a side of both. And some people do this work and they do utilize shame and blame as like a catalyst. Um, And some people can feel as though almost like they're being guilted into doing this. Mm -hmm. And I tend to feel like I am not here to put that shame and blame on you. So I'm not going to tell you that you're a horrible racist because you didn't know and you now you're never going to be able to shake it. I feel like what's going to likely happen, though, is as you're learning and you are deconditioning the, the old ways of thinking that you thought were the only ways of doing things you may feel shame or you may feel a certain amount of blame that you put on yourself. But it is very different to feel something that is self-imposed versus feeling it doused upon you from the outside. And so for me, it's very important to acknowledge that I'm not going to put that on you. However, if you feel it, it is drawing your attention to something that you need to dig deeper with. It's telling you, hey, there's something here and it doesn't want to let go. So what do you need to do to pay attention to it? It's just kind of like being stuck in an old way of doing things. Like if you're changing your, your, your diet or your um, health routine and it's like, yeah, eating the cookies felt good, but I don't feel good after I eat the cookies. And so therefore I have to kind of decide, like if I feel weird letting it go, it doesn't mean that it's bad to do it, but I have to completely change the way that I've operated. And so sometimes having to let go of something that you felt like, well, that's just what I do that can cause you to have to completely shift the way you process yourself, the way you process your emotions and your actions. And so that's where you're getting to that point of like, what's that feeling? And that's where I feel like the shame or blame can come up. And I think it does go really deeply into that imposter syndrome piece, because my entire view on imposter syndrome is not that the imposter is who you're becoming. The imposter is who you've had to be to make it to this point? Who did you have to be to be safe? Who did you have to project to the world in order to shield yourself? You are stepping into the next best version of yourself. And that authenticity of how real you can be is what's scary. That's what's scary. It's scary of how awesome you can be. Not that you can't be. And you're having to let go of this lesser version, but it's familiar and it's comfortable, but it no longer fits. You have to let it go. That is literally the first time I've ever heard anyone take that approach to imposter syndrome. And my mind is literally blown. Like I'm over here kind of freaking out a little bit because I feel so heard and seen by that, by that analysis of imposter syndrome. Um, so, you know, I mentioned to you when we were chatting earlier that I am, um, I was born in Iran and I really, I did very much have to imposter myself to fit into kind of the quote unquote norm, especially of, I mean, in every stage of my life from childhood to, you know, adolescence to now adulthood and being in the creative industry, uh, especially when I entered into the creative industry as a photographer, you know, like nine years ago, it was definitely like one type of person and I was not that person. So I became Mm -hmm. that person. I mean, so visibly that my friends and family were like, oh, like we need to give you, you know, quote unquote, like white girl name for your Instagram, because that's not really you, but you're really trying to make that you. And I would get so hurt by that because I was like, well, I'm just doing my best to market 
and meet, you know, meet the industry where it's at. But when I let go of that a few years ago, like that is when things skyrocketed for me. And in a, in a very humble way, I'm trying to say that, like, this is not a place of conceit or of bragging, but truly the more I accepted that, like, I can shed that imposter, um, you know, character that I've become and step into who I am, who is a little bit sassy, like I'm a little spicy, but that's okay. Like, you know, and just, just really embracing that I don't have to be pink and bubbly and bright all the time. I can wear my all black and be who I am and be, be really spicy and it's fine. And people loved it because I was just being authentic. So thank you for bringing that part of it into, into this conversation, because I do think that it's one of those things we just, we just breeze past because we think, oh, imposter syndrome just means like I'm quote unquote, not enough, but that's like a whole new layer. Nope. Nope. You are more than enough. And so you're afraid of like, wait, what happens when I let that me out? And as somebody that still has my beauty brand and for years was fully immersed in the wedding industry, I understand exactly what you're talking about and having to be what you need to be, to be accepted, to make the money, to not, I mean, I remember walking in a room to have a room full of, of bridesmaids and the brides already met me, but all the bridesmaids may be all white. And they're like, Oh wait, she's going to do my hair. And then they didn't think I could do it. And the minute I did the first person then everybody's like, Oh, I can go next. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had to prove myself to be here. I understand now. I understand. Oh my gosh. I am just, you guys who are listening, people who are listening are probably like, whoa, (laughs) this is getting so deep. But honestly, I feel like for those of, we have a lot of people listening who are in the wedding industry. And so I know this is going to hit a lot of people really close to home. And, and I, I know that exact feeling of walking into a wedding day or even walking onto a stage in, in a, you know, wedding industry event or Mm -hmm. um, walking onto the stage in any kind of a creative you know, creative entrepreneurial event and thinking like, okay, do I need to dress the same as everyone? You know, it's just, it's so, it has so many layers. So thank you for bringing that up. I feel like we could go off on like 400 tangents. Um, Okay. So I would, I really could, I could talk to you forever. (laughs) We might, this might be a long episode and that's, that's great. That's okay. Cause I think it's an important topic. Um, Okay. So I want to hear about your take on imperfect allyship, because you did touch on this in the beginning and I don't want to breeze past it because it did stick out to me. Um, the importance of being an imperfect ally, what that means, how people can really embrace that title. Absolutely. I will say that I notice a lot of people like I'll hear ally, I'll hear accomplice, I'll hear co-conspirator. And I will say for me that I think that, um, the nuances that can come with semantics are important. And at the same time, I don't want to see people getting so caught up in what the label is that they forget about the work that they're actually there to do. And so for me, I think that it's so important to remember that there is no part of this work that is based in perfection. There's no part of you that is going to step up and say that I want to provide an opportunity to others to have their voices and their skills and their existence amplified to be able to provide the same levels of access and um, thriving, security, safety, opportunities that I take for granted, I want to provide that to you. I wanna provide an opportunity for you to be able to open the door and have these things free and clear. And it doesn't have to feel like 
it's easy for me because of my skin or because of whatever my current access level is, whether it's because of my race, because of my um, religion, because of my age, because of my socioeconomic status. It's someone saying, I have these things and you don't have the same level of access and I'm not okay with that. So what I do have, I'm going to utilize as a tool to shift that disparity, to bring in equity. But I know that what I'm seeing and feeling and what I see you experiencing is not light. It's not easy. And I'm learning what this looks like. I am learning the specific pieces that I don't experience because I'm not a part of it. And so as I call it, you're going to eat some Nike. You're going to put your foot in your mouth a whole lot of times. And as you do that, you understand that that doesn't mean that you stop. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. It doesn't mean that you're bad for it. It means that you are on a journey to do better. You have hit a growth edge. You're learning something. You get the lesson from it. You make amends for any harm that you've done and you rinse and repeat. You continue. The perfect is the, the, the perfect ideal. It's crap. It's a lie. It doesn't exist. You are going to be imperfect and you still need to be in action. Just keep moving. It's all right. Give yourself that permission. Don't purposefully be harmful. That's, a, that's another piece. However, being perfect, those of us that need allies to be the ones to speak up so that we're not exhausted constantly speaking up for ourselves, we don't have the luxury of waiting for you to be comfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that because I really do think that a lot of people struggle with you know, wanting to say the right thing or wanting to do the right thing. And that almost becomes an additional hurdle for them to step up, step forward and, and take some kind of action because they're so afraid that they're going to misstep. And that is just going, it's just going to happen. I think if you realize that, yeah, you probably will misstep. I have made so many missteps in my allyship journeys that it is important to acknowledge when that happens and to learn from it and to grow from it. And so that the next action that you take, the next step forward that you take can be a better one and can just continual, continually improve your journey as an ally, because it is not, I also think we're at a really interesting time, just societally, like we're just in a really interesting time of people wanting to say, like, my eyes have been opened, wanting to go, hopefully wanting to go beyond you know, an Instagram movement and go into real life movements and real life actions. And so I guess I would love to hear your input on, on the now what, uh, we had an episode on here kind of like at the height in 2020 of the black lives matter movement, really getting traction on social media. We had Akua Kanadu on to talk about allyship and what that looks like. And she and I talked about how, it is not like a right now thing. It's a, it's an ongoing forever thing. Like this is something that has to continue. And I think that as things come in and out of the media or in and out of social media's quote unquote, like trending um, movements, right. It can, it's easy to lose steam. So I'd love to hear from you. Like, how can I, how can we as a society ensure that one another are not losing steam? Like how could I even, you know, continue to push my audience and push my own within my reach? Like how can I continue to, to encourage people to take action? Right. And so this is one of the things we talk about often in our community pause on the play because people specifically come in 
and they're like, I want to do things differently. I want to shift who I'm amplifying. I want to provide equity. And there's this point of like, I want to do better, but what happens when I get afraid of doing it wrong? Or I want to do more, but what happens when I'm trying to figure out what is more actually? Is more because I said that that's what the more needs to be, or is this actually what is needed? Is this what these underserved you know, communities or people that identify in this way actually are requesting and are in need of? And so I think one of the big things that I often see as an underlying piece of it is people are afraid to constantly be in conversation. And so the conversation is not about here's conversation or here's action as if they're two separate things, because there are parts of it that I think the only way that you can figure out the actions that need to be taken is by being in the conversations with those that you want to support and being able to step out of like, well, this is my bubble and this is what I see. And this is what I know. It's like, well, what else is there? What else is there that I'm not aware of? What else is it that I am not experiencing? Because that's just not the way that my life is set up at this point. And I think that that gives you some insight that's extremely important. But the reason that that conversation is also an action in itself is because to put yourself in a situation to talk with someone who looks, lives, and loves very differently than you, to understand how you can move differently in your allyship and through the world, to see their point of view, and to understand what you can do to facilitate equity for them and those that identify similarly, that's an action. It's an action that requires a lot of vulnerability. It requires a lot of listening and actually hearing what's being said and also understanding that it's likely going to draw some attention to some areas that maybe you feel like you haven't done all that you can do. But this is an opportunity to see where you can be better, not where you weren't good enough. There's, there's a big difference there. And so understanding that the conversation itself is an action, but also that that conversation leads you to the next actions that need to be taken. That is awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I like just to kind of piggyback off that, what are some of the strategies that you personally use or that you feel like people can start to use to make sure that all of their clients really feel welcome and safe and that they are going through that process of thinking like, how can I actually be inclusive? Um, how can I actually spark this change in the way that I'm running my business? Um, I know that you have your own salon. I know you have your online coaching business and I'm sure you use a lot of strategies to do that. So um, I'd love to hear those. One of the big things that we do that I feel like is a cornerstone and one of the first steps is really identifying your values. So we have a masterclass. It's um, implicit to explicit. And it's really getting people to go through and to identify what are your values? What do you support? What are you against? And it's very different than the surface level. Like you, you're digging in and you're really getting to the root of some of these things. And the reason that getting to those values and really feeling like you understand them clearly in a way that they can be conveyed to other people is because you can't clearly say who you are inviting in and who's included if you don't understand who you're including and why you're including them. 
because inclusion to me is not about including everyone. Inclusion is about making sure that those that want to be included and want to partake in it know that they have free and clear access to it. Because if I said I was including everyone, then that would mean that the people that took part in the insurgency on the Capitol that I'm saying, yeah, come on in. Uh, no, I'm not. So I am clearly not including everyone. I am including those that want to be a part of my message and my mission and furthering that for others that are seeking their allyship to facilitate that. And so figuring out what those values looks like means that you can then say, okay, I know who I want to be included. I know from being in conversation with them and listening to them and paying attention that this is what will actually facilitate that. This was what will actually help that happen. And you're also being able to say, well, what is it that needs to happen so that it's also clear what's gonna make a safe environment? Because if I'm saying I want you to be included, can I create space that you're safe in? And I say that as a black woman who has been in spaces where I was the only or the minority and they weren't safe. And you don't know that they're safe until they're not. Because they're, they'll say, oh yeah, we're good. And then it's like, oh wait, no, this didn't work out well when something actually happened. And so I think before you can do anything, you have to start by saying, this is what matters. This matters for people that identify in this type of way and that these are the values that matter to them. This is how I can be of support to you. And then this is how I want to hold space for this. And what do I do if it goes wrong? But you have to understand like, what, what, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? Because otherwise you're just doing for the doing sake or you're doing it because you're afraid to get canceled. And this is the proper thing to do at this point. Because I do think that just like you mentioned earlier, that whole, like, this is not right now. If you're doing it because this is what we do now, that's not the thing. It's about, this is ongoing. And I know that this is long game, marathon work, but I'm willing to do the work right now to create a solid foundation with which I can go forward on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I would love to hear your perspective. We talked before we hit record, we were actually talking about, um, you know, how this is kind of, it's become this double-edged sword where it is very, it's almost bittersweet. Like it's very exciting to see so many people really appear to want to move in the direction of embracing diversity, embracing inclusivity and inclusion. But at the same time, there are some people who really are out there just kind of doing it because they don't want to get canceled or they don't want, they don't want to get called out. And so there is a huge difference in my perspective as somebody who teaches on, on diversity or who speaks on diversity from my own personal story standpoint. And I try really hard to be an ally. And so I think that that's kind of hard for people to differentiate until sometimes it's too late. Like you mentioned, you get into that space and then you realize, oh, this doesn't actually isn't a safe space for me. Um, so kind of taking like a little bit of a tangent, I would just love to hear like what your perspective is on when it comes to kind of differentiating between is, is this person who wants to work with me at this point, like from the perspective of somebody who could potentially be tokenized, how do you how do you advise people to kind of move forward? I mean, I, I mentioned like I get on one-on-one -on -one calls before I sign any contracts now just to, just to differentiate. And that's a pretty big clarifier for me because I feel like I hope that I'm right. And that I can get a good gut feeling from people. Like the second we talked, we were like, we're best friends, 
but I can, it could go the opposite direction pretty easily with me. But for those people who don't necessarily have that inherently in them, like that judge, that character judgment, red flag, like what are some things that people can do to really ensure that they are walking into safe spaces as a person who is in the minority? I think one of the first things there is to acknowledge whether or not you are comfortable being the minority or the only person in a space. Because I can say for me, I've gone into plenty of spaces and been the only black woman, the only black person. And I consciously knew that and specifically went in kind of being a disruptor because I knew for a fact that I I shouldn't be the only person here. And there's a lot of conversations not being had because there isn't anyone else here that looks like me. And so because of that, I specifically went in knowing that I wanted to bring attention to the lack thereof, but I was equipped to handle that. I think when you go into a space and you don't know that that's what you're signing up for, or you are not there to have to speak on or address the lack of diversity that's happening in the space, that doesn't work as well. So you first have to just kind of say like, can I be in a space and it's just me and maybe they're not as aware yet. And I think if there is a place of you going in and thinking, yes, I am ready and I am aware and you can see that maybe it's too much, cut your losses. It is a-okay to say, I can't do this anymore because I've been in spaces where they did feel safe. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, it is not, it is not safe at all in here. And even asking for support, I've had times where I didn't get it. And so I'm like, okay, it wasn't here. I asked for things to be done differently. Nothing changed. And so therefore, I'm not going to do this. I don't have to accept it. I don't have to just deal with it. And so you you can say no. But I think if you're going in, then you can ask questions like, you know, is there any other type of diversity in the room? Because I do think that it's also important to acknowledge the diversity that maybe you don't see in somebody's skin color or you know their gender from like a, a surface or first level appearance type of thing. So it's important to acknowledge, is there any diversity in the room beyond appearance? Um, is there any type of conversation that will allow anything to come up that will address the differences between us and what makes us unique, but also is there any type of framework or process in place or just the opportunity if things don't go well? What happens if harm does unintentionally happen? Um, can someone speak up? Is there a space for restorative justice? Is there an opportunity to have a conversation around what's happening? Or can we just not talk about this? Because I saw a lot of people last year after George Floyd was murdered, that their communities, things went sideways real quick. And all of a sudden they were like, I don't know what to do with this. I, I don't know how to wrangle this in. This has just gotten out of hand. And so I do think it's important to think about those things ahead of time. And so like my business partner, India and I, we partnered with Autumn Whit Boyd and her law firm. And we actually helped to create some contracts and uh, membership community uh, terms and conditions that did help to address some of those things. Because I, I just saw a lot of people last year that were struggling and they didn't know what to do. But at the same time, like that was one of those things to where like, you probably didn't know because who was planning for this? Who expected this? So I think sometimes it is as the facilitator or, or, or owner of a space to 
kind of plan for the unplannable as much as you can. But then as the person going in, having to really have a true, honest heart to heart with yourself. Why am I going in this space? What do I hope to accomplish? And what do I have the capacity to navigate at this moment? Because I do think that prior to COVID, capacity may have looked very different than it does right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a good point for both both the person who is looking at hosting an event or being a speaker at an event who might not have those same, um, you know, holdups that, that somebody who is more diverse or who has some kind of uh, quote unquote otherness that has to decide, am I safe in this space? I think it's just, you brought up a lot of points that anybody could or should be thinking about before, you know, making a choice to affiliate themselves or associate themselves with a brand, with an event, with, you know, whoever it is. And, and I know that my, I love that you said it's something that you need to think, am I prepared to do this and be honest mm-hmm. with yourself about, because if I'm being honest, I've made that decision probably more than a handful of times where I thought, yeah, I know what I'm walking into. I can handle it. And then I get in the room and I'm like, this was a mistake. I cannot handle this. Why right. am I here? Um, as you know, I, I'm probably usually one of very few people who does not identify as a Christian young white woman in most of the conferences I went to. I mean, now it's, it, there has been a shift and I'm thankful for that shift, but in the first few years of my business, that's what it was. And so when every keynote had a Bible quote or every speaker had a journey, in their business that they related to their faith, it was very difficult for me to be able to feel one, not excluded. And two, like I could actually take tangible business advice from these leaders, because if they're only relying on something that I don't, I don't necessarily have as part of my life journey, what is the takeaway for me? And so um, there were so many levels to that. And I thought every time I thought I can handle it, it's okay. Like I'm from Texas, I can get it. Like, it's okay. I'm from the South. (laughs) I'm used to it. Like it's cool, but I was wrong. I was lying to myself. And so I do really want to, you know, acknowledge the fact that what you said is so poignant in that people really need to be honest with like, with yourself, have a heart to heart with yourself. Like, can you really handle it? Or do you just really want to go? because I just wanted to go. (laughs) Right. And there, I think that there's times that we're like, Oh, I got it. And then you're like, I didn't know how deep this ran. Uh, no, never mind. And this is where I think that we have to remind ourselves that it is okay to kind of step away from that. What is it? Sunk cost type of thing. Like, yeah, I put money into this and this doesn't feel good anymore. Like if yeah. you pay for a membership and then you're like, uh-uh. no, 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 no. And I also think that there's a place for those of us that were not raised with the same level of entitlement around asking for what you want, being able to say, this does not work for me. This is what I need to be the next step. And this is what I hope to be the outcome and being able to have that conversation. Because for a lot of us, it was not easy and a given to say, oh, well, of course, ask for what you want you mean I can actually want and it's safe to want, let alone to verbalize it to someone else? Wait. And so you've completely negated the cultural pieces of how that's not always the case for everyone. And so there's something to be said for those of us that do find ourselves in a position of not feeling as safe and supported as we want to be, that we can speak up and ask for what we want, whatever that is. And that 
we we have options. We don't have to just deal and to just say, oh, well, I can't fix it. We don't have to do that. And I think that there's something to be said about having to acknowledge that we don't have to be okay with a lack of safety and security and support. Like that is something that I'm hugely against because for a very long time, we didn't think that we had other options. And I believe that we absolutely do. We have to just take it. It's just not going to be given. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. It is not. You just have to take it. Like you have to ask. And I love that because I really think that it's something that so many people struggle with and, you know, the quote unquote other side of the coin, like they don't, you just don't see it. It's like you said, unless you have a lived experience, there's just some things that not, that are not inherent to understand, um, for everybody. So I love that. Okay. So, um, I think that there are so many points that we talked about that people can really, really think on and so many action steps that people can take within their own businesses as well. Um, I'd love to kind of hear, I mean, honestly, typically at the end of a conversation on this podcast, I ask what your unpopular opinion on the topic is, but this topic, I feel like in itself can be an unpopular opinion because it is a hard topic. It is not, I I don't want anyone who's listening to this be like, oh, well, that sounds like a fun and easy breezy conversation to have. It's not. Um, But I'd love to hear if you have like closing thoughts, maybe action steps or anything that you want to just pose to our audience um, in, in this, in this quick wrap up. I think if you listen to this conversation and you're hearing it and you're thinking that it's easy, that there is a place of privilege and ease that you have. And I implore you to utilize that as a weapon for good. Because a lot of us don't have easy access to that. And so that can be utilized to say, well, this shouldn't be this way. So how can this be different? And how can this change? And I think that that part of you that has that thought process of, well, of course I can change it. Of course this can look differently. I want you to utilize that for betterment. I want you to take that and say, hmm, okay. It's not okay for things to have these huge chasms between them, these disparities that simply separate us. So if I feel like it can be easy, how can I utilize that for for fuel? Because unfortunately, there's a lot of people that come to this work from a place of being downtrodden and exhausted and Unfortunately, after George Floyd was murdered, a lot of people that did find themselves in an awakening, it came from a place of all of a sudden having stories and and conversations and images and videos constantly reminding you that a Black man was murdered on film for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And we passed off this snuff film as news. And so that is damaging to your, your psyche, your nervous system. I mean, that's hard. And so a lot of people came to this from trauma. So if you have an opportunity to come to this from a place of like, oh, no, that's not okay. And you're able to come from a less traumatic place. I want you to be able to utilize that to your advantage because everybody can benefit from that. Because the reality is, is that a lot of people weren't able to do that. So that means that you have more space ahead of you to be able to step into this from a place of being willing, being able, being more energized, 
having more possibilities that you feel like you have access to because you don't have the trauma that is draped across your shoulders as you walk into this house. It's a lot. And so if you are hearing this and you have the capacity, I want you to join the marathon and take the baton for some of us that are more exhausted and, and, and join the fight. Seriously. That's an entire yeah. thing. Use that energy because energy is at a, at a premium right now and there's not enough of it to go around. So we need more people that are like, I'm willing to join the fight. Yes. Yes. For sure. I, I so appreciate you sharing that perspective and honestly, just sharing that, um, that example as well, because I do think that so many people just don't even think about it in that way. And that, that in itself is a privilege. Uh, I always say like, what a privilege it is for you to be able to pick and choose when you're going to pay attention to something, when you're going to speak against something, when you're going to voice a concern about something. We, even in my own home, we have this conversation a lot. I'm married to I like to call him as white as you could possibly get Tim Smith, boy next door. Like he's the all American, you know, guy I never thought I'd be with, but he's great. But it, in the conversations that we have here, it is very prevalent that like, you really can choose. You got, you got all the privileges, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that it is something that's easy to get our guards up about and say like, what do you mean? I'm, you know, that's kind of like the age old story, but I really appreciate you sharing that perspective of if you have that ability to choose to now be an ally or to now speak up, you've got that perk of that energy. Like you're ready to go. You're, you're like feeling, you're starting to feel that fire, like lean into it. Like, let's go. Because, because I, I know that there are so many people that need a break and so many of us can shoulder that burden for so many of them. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. I think it's important to remember that just because you can take more and you can endure more doesn't mean that it's okay that you have to. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Erica. I Can you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can connect with you? I mean, we will link all of your amazing stuff in our show notes because I know that you have like a really awesome... Um, ally evaluation checklist freebie that we're going to link in our show notes. And we, you have a lot of other resources we're going to link up, but where can people connect with you? Absolutely. So if you want to know more about me, you can come on over to my website, which is ericacorday.com. You can learn about my services. You will see the sign up for the imperfect allyship checklist. You'll also be able to go on over to pauseontheplay.com where you can learn more about the podcast. You can learn more about the community. And if you're interested in the implicit to explicit masterclass, which I was mentioning before, we do have one coming up in April. Um, and we cap it at only six people in the room because we think it's important to keep it as an intimate group so that you can get a little bit more specialized support with it. So if you have questions on that or you want it directly just for you and your um, organization privately, that's an option too. But you can learn more again, ericacorday.com, pauseontheplay.com, and that will give you all the info you need. Thank you so much. Yeah. What a great idea to be able to, if you have a small team or if you have like a cohort of entrepreneur friends, like business besties, like yes. what a great investment of your time and your resources to be able to really dive into making sure that you are doing things in the way that you really want to be able to represent yourself in. So I love that. Thank you, Erica. Of course, Lily. Thank you for having me. 
For show notes and resources mentioned on today's episode, head to SoHere'sTheThingPodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love to read your review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode.